And the more I do that, the more I focus, the more I'm creating a space for myself where I feel like an expert. And that feels really good, but it's also genuine. You know, I, I feel like I can own that now. Like I am an expert in my field and people hire me for that expertise. And that's what I wanted when I started the business. Welcome to the Smart Gets Paid podcast with me, Leah Niederthal. I help women land higher paying clients in their independent consulting businesses, but I've never been a salesperson. My background is in corporate marketing. And when I started my first consulting business, I learned pretty quickly that it's about a thousand times harder to sell your own stuff than it is to sell someone else's. So I taught myself how to do it and I created the sales approach that I now share with my clients so they can feel more comfortable in the sales process, get more of the right clients, and get paid way more for every client contract. So whether your client contracts are $5,000, $100,000 or more, if you wanna work with more of the clients you love, do more of the work you love and get paid more than you ever thought you could, then you're in the right place. Let's do it together. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to rate, review and share. Hey there, thanks for joining me in this episode. I hope that wherever you are, wherever you are listening to this, I hope you're having a good week, making some good progress in your business and taking some time for you. So this episode is a little bit delayed because as you heard a couple weeks ago, I was really, really sick. I caught the virus or whatever that my kids have had, that everybody has, my wife had it, and it was a rough couple of weeks over here. But thank you so much to everybody who reached out, who sent their well wishes. And as you can hear, I feel better and very much back to myself. So I'm so excited to be here with you in this episode. So let's get into it, yeah? In this episode, I'm so excited to chat with Emily Weisgrau, one of my clients, Emily is a communications consultant for nonprofits. So she started her business a little bit before the pandemic. And in this episode, we're going to talk about how to go from somebody who is, you know, really smart and capable and confident in doing the work and to be able to use that, you know, use your smarts, use your capability and your confidence in the work and actually use that expertise to bring clients to you. A lot of people would call that thought leadership. And actually I would call that thought leadership, but it's kind of a funny thing about thought leadership is that most of the women I talk to think that thought leadership is something that other people do. Like they sort of assume that they don't have thought leadership, right? And I see this among women especially, but I'm sure it's a complex that exists in everyone, but it's just this thought that like other people have thought leadership, not me. But as I share with my clients, as we work on how to leverage LinkedIn to get referrals and word of mouth clients, et cetera, if you have an expertise and you have an opinion, then you have thought leadership. But for the purposes of this conversation, knowing that most women feel uncomfortable calling their stuff thought leadership, we'll just call this expertise content. But the story of getting comfortable with that, getting comfortable with your expertise and using that on LinkedIn to leverage LinkedIn for clients, that's the story that Emily is going to share with you today. We have such a great conversation and Emily has so much wisdom to share and I can't wait for you to hear it. And also as a bonus, if you listen towards the end, she has a big reveal. So be sure to listen for that. So thanks so much to Emily for joining me in this conversation. I know you're going to love it. Take a listen. And at the end, I'll come back and share a lesson that you can apply to your business. And then hopefully someday soon, you'll partner with us to help you build your consulting business and you'll come back on the podcast and share your story. Enjoy. 
All right, Emily, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks, Lee. It's great to be with you. Yeah. So tell us who you are. Tell us about your business. So I run a business called Weisswood Strategies Limited. And Weisswood is a mashup of Weiss, which is the German word for white, and wood, which is you know, trees. And I think about white trees like aspen trees, which have this interconnected grove and root system underground that all that keeps all of the trees healthy and thriving. And that's essentially what I do for nonprofit organizations. And I do that in a very specific way. I specialize in fundraising communications that help deepen donor relationships and raise more money for nonprofits all through publications, websites, video, any type of communication channel. That's awesome. How long have you been doing that? Uh, gosh, it's been two and a half years now. So you must've started right before the pandemic. I did, September, 2019, yeah. And, oh and I definitely had a moment where I thought, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> I'm gonna have to go back in house and get a, you know a, another job. And that was part of the impetus for why I ended up working with you actually was, so I wouldn't have to do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, because those first, what was it? It must have been six months, yeah. right? Or six or seven months. I mean, those are really critical in a business. And I mean, what were those first six months like? And what were the next six months like? Well, I was really lucky because when I left my last job, I converted my employer to a client. So that gave me that sort of anchor client that I needed to launch. And then I put the word out to friends and family about what I was doing. And I got a couple more clients that way. And then I got like one word of mouth client. And so the, you know, the, the client list got full enough for that time, but I also knew that that was not a strategy I could sustain. I didn't want to just rely on word of mouth. And then when the pandemic hit and the phone just stopped ringing, I thought I really have to have a plan. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people experience that, right? And everybody's first clients are exactly the same clients that you got. And that's exactly the same clients you should be getting in that phase of your business, right? Past employers, people who knew you from before. But you know, you do, even if a pandemic hadn't happened, you would have like everybody hits a point where either you start to recognize that this will not last forever and you want to do something about it, or you don't recognize that and it still doesn't last forever. And then you're a little, you're caught a little flat footed. Right. So yeah. it's good that you had just had this in your mind to say, all right, I need to do something about this. So, but talk to me about what was going on in the business before, you know, right before that. You had this moment of, okay, I need to do something. But what was, what were things looking like? I mean, how, how, see, this is terrible. I, I'm like not an interviewer, <laughs> I'm just a talker. You know, what was going on in your business? Yeah. So because I had just started, I had, I cast my net very wide. I was willing to do just about anything within the realm of communications that someone was willing to pay me for. So I was working with for-profits and non-profits and I was doing branding and media relations and I was doing fundraising and all kinds of things. And, and I really thought initially I was going to create a communications agency and over time, I realized I didn't want to do that. And I needed to kind of focus on where the clients were, who I liked working with, the work I enjoyed doing, where the money was. So I was in a little bit of a flux of figuring out how to get from doing everything for everyone, which was not really satisfying, to doing the right things for the right people at the right time in the right way. And that, so I was in, yeah, it was a state of trying to figure out where I was headed and what my real 
unique value proposition was. Yeah. Yeah. Identity. Was there anything that you were, it was easy for you to cut, right? Like, I don't want to do this anymore. I have done it. I can do it. But like anything that was like, all right, I'm done with that. Yeah. So I think anything related to branding, I really like branding work, but it wasn't, there's so many people that do branding. I just felt like I didn't have anything special to offer in that area. Media relations, I also didn't, most of the stuff for for profits started to feel like it wasn't my lane. I had spent my whole career in the nonprofit sector. My husband started a law firm about a year before I started my business. So I was doing some work for his firm in marketing. And that was fun because we could work together. But I realized I didn't really want to just do it for anybody. And that the nonprofit world was really my comfort zone. It's where my connections were. I had studied nonprofit management in graduate school. Why I thought I could do more than that, I don't know. It didn't. Re- it just didn't really work for me. Yeah. But you know, that's, again, it's like in those first several months, like do all the things, you know, I think that a lot of people, I think it's easy to go in starting your business, feeling like you should do one thing or one service, but in, you know, when you have your own business, you, you, you never know what might surprise you, right. Or what you really gravitate towards. But on the other side, I think you, it's really helpful to do all the things because you can really clearly say, you know, listen to yourself, listen to your, you know, your heart or your body or whatever, and be like, "Mm, nope, this is not, this is not it. I remember when I first started my, my consulting business and, you know, working with small businesses, I was like, I, I think after my third CRM implementation, I was like, nope, I'm done with that. I have done it. I can do it, but like somebody else is better at it. I don't need to be, I don't need to be doing this. So when you had identified, okay, the nonprofit world is really where your heart is. What was your next step? Well, I, I did what I tend to do, which is research. I, you know, I, I am, I love to do research. So I I, I thought, well, I have this problem. I need to figure it out. What am I going to do? You know, I want to have more clients. I want to have bigger, more prestigious clients. I want to create a name for myself in this field in a way that I hadn't, you know, working in house. And, you know, I, I had all these grand aspirations. I'm a high achiever and I just, you know, I wanted to like win at everything. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I know you're pretty much work exclusively. I work exclusively <laughs> with high achievers. So right. the high achiever, high researcher in me sees yeah. the high achiever, high researcher in you. <laughs> Can we just you. pause for a sec? Because I think this, you mentioned something that I think is worth highlighting. You wanted to make a name for yourself in a way that you hadn't when you worked in-house. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because that's something that I see quite a bit with the women I work with. Talk to me about what that was like. Yeah. I mean, I think I I knew that I knew my stuff pretty well. I was, I've been working for, at that point for almost 25 years. You know, I was at the top of my game when I left my last job, there was really nowhere for me to go and remain a specialist in development communications. I could have gone to like a VP of communications level, but that would have been a generalist role. And I didn't want to do that. And I didn't want to manage a whole team, but I I wanted to keep doing what I was really good at and, and do it for, you know, clients that I loved. And, and I thought maybe I'll write a book. Maybe I can go on the speaking circuit. I just knew that I had something to share with the world or the nonprofit world, at least. And 
I wanted uh, you know, a little bit of recognition for it in a way that I think when you work in-house, you don't always get just because of the nature of the way organizations work and teams work. But once I was my own boss and my own business, I thought, oh, I can actually use this to my advantage. Yeah. Was that a natural thing for you? You know, I, I speak to a lot of women who come from corporate, who, you know, do what we all do, which is we, we work really hard. We put our heads down, we get promoted and, you know, we're sort of recognized for the work that we do. And then they find it difficult when they start their business to, you know, they might have the realization that you have, like, I, I have something to say, I probably should and could put it out there and be seen for this, but it feels very uncomfortable. So for you, is this something that felt natural to you? Or was it a little bit of like, a, I don't know, let's call it a growth experience. It, it did in certain realms. So I had done, I had presented at conferences, for example, in the past, that was a place where I felt comfortable speaking about what I know or things I had worked on, but I had not done any real sort of thought leadership in terms of, you know, like LinkedIn or publishing a newsletter, writing articles. So I hadn't explored that world fully. And I thought there was opportunity there. Isn't it crazy though? Like I'm just observing, you know, somebody who you'd been in the business for 25 years, you had achieved the highest level you could and still remained, you know, in your, your, your unique lane of expertise. You had spoken on stage, right? Virtual or, or, you know, in real life stage. And yet I just heard you say, I'd never really done thought leadership. Isn't that bizarre? Yeah. I mean, I just, I'm yeah. observing it like, cause, cause I hear it from, I, it's some, definitely a thought that I've had in my life, but also I hear it from a lot of women. Like, what is that about how, what is that about where we thought leadership belongs to other people? I don't know. Does that, does that resonate with you? It does. It does. And, and then at some point I thought, well, why can't, like, why shouldn't it be me? Like, I actually know what I'm doing. I have something to say. I have a really unique perspective about it. And, you know, what do I have to lose? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you're in the first six months of your business, you're hitting a pandemic, even though you had some clients, right? You, you had also sort of come to this place where you're like, I have something to say. I can't not say it, or I know I need to say it. Let me, let me just pause for a sec. Was there any sort of like, did you lose any clients? I'm just curious, like at the beginning of the pandemic? No, I didn't. You didn't? Oh, wow. That's great. I think I actually got more clients as a result of the pandemic because organizations were in a hiring freeze. And they needed to look outside for interesting. Oh, I actually lost a couple of clients after the pandemic slowed down because they started to hire staff. Oh, interesting. That's fascinating. It's crazy. Like the hiring stuff is affecting people in so many ways. All right. So you had this sense that it was time to do something, right? How did you decide what you wanted that something to be? Well, I did my research and I started to, you know, look for different opportunities of how to, you know, business development opportunities, speaking opportunities. And I am a member of a group on Facebook called the Nonprofit Consultants Virtual Network, which is a wonderful resource. And your name kept popping up. Really? uh That's cool. Yeah. And I was like, who is this person that I keep reading about? So... I did my research on you and to use your language, you know, I was a lurker. So I started following you on LinkedIn and I looked at your website and I signed up for one of your webinars on on how to use LinkedIn for business development. Because I always thought LinkedIn was a great social media platform that appealed to me, but I really knew that I didn't know how to use it properly. But I I had a sense that it was a good place for me because it, 
it wasn't like the other platforms. And so everything just kind of clicked into place. And I, I you know, I, I liked everything that you had to say. And I appreciated, you know, the transparency that you bring to the table. And, you know, you're just like, this is who I am. You can work with me or not. And I, like, it was just very refreshing. And everything you were saying about how to get clients in a way that's not about sales in a traditional sense spoke to this notion of thought leadership and how to present yourself in a way that just feels comfortable. So, so you were lurking. To, yeah. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. What were you saying? Oh no. I knew I had to make some kind of investment in myself at this point that it wasn't just going to be like reading all the books, which you, you know, you did that for all of us. Yeah. But it takes a long ass time. Long it took me time, like four right. years. So I just thought, okay, I, I think I feel comfortable enough to spend the money on this and I'm going to learn it and I'm going to do the work. And I took Pack Your Pipeline as an accelerator class in June of 2020, yeah, right in the, the early days of the pandemic. And it, it did a lot for me, Leah, a lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about that. But first I want to, you know, it is funny to hear you say that you were lurking. I mean, this is, this is what everybody does. This is what our clients do all the time. If, if you're hearing us use this phrase for the first time, this, this term lurkers, it's people who are in just read only mode, right? They're, they're seeing your stuff on LinkedIn or on Facebook or wherever your social media channel is. They will never engage. They will never like, and never comment, but they are reading. Right. So like, you know, Emily, you and I know that if you get a thousand views on a LinkedIn post and you only get 10 likes or comments, that means that there are 990 people out there who saw your post and did nothing, right? Those are the lurkers and those people are following along and they are in some type of educational relationship with you even though you can't see them. So, all right. So while I was over here posting on LinkedIn, doing my thing, you were lurking. Was there anything in particular that spoke to you? I mean, I, you, you mentioned the transparency, but I'm just curious, was there anything that spoke to you and said, all right, now is the time I need to do this? I, I think it was when I signed up for your webinar and it was you know, kind of a one hour session and you talked about the there was a, I remember we had to, you know, you had us get out our pens and pencils and like we, everybody like drew the triangle and it had like the levels of moving up the, like how to deal with LinkedIn, right? It was like, level up your profile, treat your profile as a landing page, like do the, right? It's like, oh, this makes so much sense. And I loved the sort of interactive nature of it. And I just thought this, like, I'm a very process oriented person. I like systems. I like rules. And like you were delivering that. It was like, I wanted to be your friend and I wanted to learn from you. And <laughs> and, and here we are. Look at right. this. And now here we are two years later. And, you know, it's, it, it just was a very, I, I don't know. Some, it was a gut feeling. I mean, I just had to trust my gut really, because I, I, was taking a leap of faith. I had never done any real business development work before. I hadn't spent money on hiring a coach to teach me what to do. I was always someone who could figure stuff out on my own or just like, you know, and just didn't tell anyone that like I was figuring it out on my own. And, or I would, you know, ask someone privately. I didn't want anyone to know what I didn't know. And so I had to just kind of accept like, this is something I need to learn. I'm a lifelong learner. This just treat it like a continuing education class. And yeah. that's what I did. I'm so glad. Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting about what you're saying here is what I'm hearing you say is 
it's a skill that I knew I had to learn. Not that like your business wasn't in, in dire straits. Right. right. It's not that like you, you didn't wait till the last minute or you, you hadn't lost all your clients. You know, right. we just talked about earlier how you kept all your clients. You even got some clients, but so it's not about like when it's kind of like therapy, right? If you, if you're listening to this and you've ever gone to therapy, like you don't have going, you don't only go to therapy when things are really terrible. You go to therapy. So things don't get terrible. Uh-huh. Right. Right. So, so I love your approach to this. It's like, I know myself, I know this is something I need to learn how to do and I'm going to take the steps to do it. What did you feel like showing up on LinkedIn using the system? What did you think it would be like before you started it? You know, I, I don't know that I had any real expectations about it other than maybe having some good conversations about topics that were important to me professionally. I guess that was probably the thing I expected most was just this sort of conversational aspect of, you know, hopefully getting some engagement, but it actually turned out to be more than that. Yeah. What is it? I mean, tell me a little bit about what it is for you now. It's really a professional network. I mean, the, the key for me was that, that, having that discipline to reach out to people every day to make new connections and to build that audience for what I was posting. And I was surprised by the number, first of all, the number of people that connected with me and the number of people who even said, Hey, do you want to have a 15 minute call and just chat? You know, cause I did it in a way that wasn't salesy, which you taught me. And so it was purely professional networking and it was just this. So now I, I have, you know, I work by myself in my office at home and I don't have coworkers in the way that I used to, but I feel like I haven't lost that sense of collegiality and camaraderie with people in my field now because I have them on LinkedIn. Yeah. Oh, that's so important. That's so important. So, you know, LinkedIn, we don't just do it for LinkedIn's sake, right? Of course you have to get visible or what have you, but it's all about what it, the results that it brings to your business. So what are some of those results? I mean, what results have you seen from the work that you've done? So broadly speaking, last year, 50% of my new clients came from LinkedIn. I mean, that's huge. Like, and they were almost entirely lurkers. People who came out of the woodwork, like I couldn't even remember who they were half the time. You know, we had connected months ago and they would say, I've been following you on LinkedIn. I really like everything you're writing. I could really use your help. And what was really cool about it is I didn't even have to send a proposal to any of these people. I don't do proposals. It's, we have a conversation. They already know me well enough that by the time they reach out, like I know what questions to ask them. They're asking me some and, you know, hopefully we can close that deal pretty quickly. So it, it was just this remarkable thing. I, and I kept saying to my husband, I was like, it's, it works. I'm so glad I took back your pipeline. It actually works. Like it was just this constant delight every time I would get contacted by, you know, prospective client. And it, it was just, I'd also built my confidence because I realized that like I could do this, that I was meeting the right people, that I was saying the right things. So it was incredibly fun and, and just, you know, it, it made me feel like I had really leveled up my whole game. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Let's just dive into a couple of those. So 50% of people coming from LinkedIn, that's just net new people from within LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. But, you know, some of the things we hear, and I don't know if you heard this as well, is the people who didn't necessarily find you on LinkedIn yeah. absolutely had LinkedIn as part of their research process, right? You and I aren't the only ones that 
go through extensive research, of course, but no, I mean that every client goes through an education process and, you know, you can bet that LinkedIn was part of that. Did anybody refer to that at all? Yeah. And I'll, you know, I'll, I'll just pivot for a second. The other thing that was really helpful is that it wasn't just LinkedIn. It was the whole sales process. So lead magnets, sending out emails, you know, so all of those helped to get eyeballs on my LinkedIn page or on my website, but I I see it all integrated because it is all connected. You can't just reach out to people on LinkedIn. You can't just post stuff. You can't just do one of these things. It all is, it's a holistic process and everything needs to work smoothly together. So whether it was someone responding to an email I sent out or they stumbled upon my website, yes, everyone ended up on LinkedIn and read my posts. And that was, it, it just gave me a lot of credibility. Yeah. I love how you're saying that, you know, by the time they got on the phone with you, the sale, I mean, unbeknownst to you was pretty far along. Yeah. Right. Because Mm -hmm. they'd been following along. You know, we talk about that as it turns you into the obvious choice. Right. And, And another thing that really helped in that regard was when I had to completely rewrite my profile as part of the class. At that point, I was still kind of trying to be all things to all people was doing for-profit, non-profit. And I remember you said, you know, you can really only talk to one audience on LinkedIn. And I that was part of the process for me of starting to niche down, niche down. And I really, it was hard to let go of some things, but it was absolutely the right thing to do. And so the more I got focused and the more I specialized, the easier it was to get clients because I was creating a space for myself that there was very little competition in. So yeah. I think that helped enormously that sort of, well, I don't want to call it pressure that you applied, but (laughs) the encouragement you gave me to like, say, this is the thing that I do. Yeah. Let's go with encouragement. I actually remember that. I remember because we would do these live profile reviews Mm -hmm. and, you know, if, if you had completed that week's you know, assignment, then you could apply to, or, you know, you could sign up for a review. And of course, you know, you being the total overachiever that you are had done it, right. Had done the work. And I remember looking at yours and I do remember that conversation. I just remember, you know, my, my advice to you and it sounds like it's really paid off. What other things did you learn in this process that really contributed to where you are today? Um, I would say there's two other things. One is positioning myself as a painkiller and not a vitamin that, you know, mindset shift is very helpful. And it's something I've said to a number of other consultants since learning it myself, when people ask me kind of about my own success and I say, you know, well, are you just selling services or are you actually solving problems? And that like understanding how that resonates with potential clients was incredibly valuable. Yeah. And how have you seen the difference? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've reframed my website to talk about, you know, that kind of stuff. And I list in my LinkedIn profile and on my website, you know, maybe you're experiencing this thing, or maybe you've faced this challenge. Like I understand the problems because I've been in my client's shoes. I was a fundraiser myself for many years. And so I just, it, it, But being able to say to them, I I see you, I know what you're going through. Here's how I can actually help is, you know, it it creates a compassionate space, I think, where, you know, you're not just selling a thing. You're saying like, let's work on this together to make it better. Yes, exactly. Yes. What else? What's sort of stuck with you the most and, and helped you get to where you are today? 
I think learning how to say no to projects and clients that aren't right for me has been very helpful. You know, this, you know, in addition to being a researcher and a high achiever, like we're pleasers, right? Like, I mean, I'll speak for myself, I guess I'm a pleaser. So it's hard well, to say you, no. And you also, you guys can't hear this, but I'm also sitting here smiling. So, right. you know, I, I'm with you on this. Yeah. And so I, I, to, to actually turn work down that didn't feel like a good fit, uh, took some practice, but ultimately was now I'm much more confident at it because what happened, I made the mistake the hard way. I learned it the hard way where I was taking clients and projects that I didn't think were great fits for me, but I felt like I should. And so I did. And then I would end up really like either overworked, stressed out, annoyed at the client. And I just thought, I don't actually need to do this to myself. Like I'm not starving for work. You know, I am making enough money to be, to have some free time at, you know, I just needed to have some work-life balance and I, I had to make some hard choices, but it, it became even very clarifying once I had said no to the wrong, or said yes to the wrong people that I needed to say no to them in the future. The harder part is saying no to things I actually do want to do. And the, the struggle that I have most these days is about growth because the work is coming in. I know how to do business development now, thanks to you, but I don't really want to create an empire. I'm, I don't want to have a staff that I'm responsible for. It, I just like doing the work. And I, you know, I think people hire me. So now I'm at a point where I actually have to say no sometimes, even though I would like to say yes, just because I don't have the time or I have to say yes, but I can't for six months. And then sometimes they go find someone else because they can't wait. So that's, you know, sort of disappointing sometimes, but I don't really, I haven't come up with a better solution. Yeah. Well, you've really upgraded your problems. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. Good problems to have. Yeah. Well, and of course, this is, you know, where we think about charging more, increasing your profitability, decreasing the hours spent, all of that stuff. Right. But, but you have to get to a place where you can do that. Right. And I think what's interesting about, you know, you're talking about turning work down to turn work down. You have to have work coming to you. You know, so, you know, so turning work down is a huge step. How did you feel like you could say no? I mean, there are people who say yes all the time to work that they know is not the the right work that they want to be doing or the right client or they can't pay enough or whatever, but it's still so hard to say no. So what, what allowed you to say no? Um, I think because I just, I had said yes to everything before and I got to a point where I really was unhappy and stressed out. And I, could not do that to myself for the long term. So it was kind of a choice of either keep working at a pace that I really didn't want to or say no. And of course the raising prices is part of that equation too. And I have done that and I actually need to do it again because <laughs> I don't think I did it enough because I'm still saying no to a lot. So that's that's another hurdle I have to work on this year. But yeah. yeah, the saying no, it just got easier over time. And I just thought, well, this this is for my own well-being. Like I have to prioritize my mental health and my physical health and you know, spending time with family and friends. Yeah, of course. Of course. You know, you talked about, I love that you mentioned that the sales LinkedIn is not just for LinkedIn, LinkedIn is for sales, right? Like LinkedIn is, and we don't sell on LinkedIn. Right. That's I think the 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 misnomer here. It's like you don't, you're not selling on LinkedIn. You're almost pre-selling 
the sale happens when somebody gets on the phone with you, right? The sales process begins, but they are so connected. What did you think selling was going to be like before you started this process? Like, what did you assume it would be? I thought I was going to have to write lengthy proposals to everybody and that I was going to spend hours of my time writing these, you know, uh, detailed and sort of heartfelt and strategic documents that were going to like really make me stand out from others and persuade clients to work with me. And like, I was going to have to really work hard to convince them of my value and that they needed me. And I didn't, I I did a little bit of that in the beginning. I was like, this is a huge waste of my time. (laughs) I, I mean, I now occasionally get sent RFPs and I will not respond to them. I just won't spend time on proposals. Yeah. I mean, I proposals are for a lot of people still a really important part of the process, right? Depending on the type of client you're working with Mm -hmm. or or company or what have you, proposals are often a necessary step, but RFPs though, I have a whole, I have a whole section in sign that's like, basically just don't do RFPs. Like you should not have to do RFPs. You should not do them. If you're listening to this and you're trying to get some RFPs because you think it's easier to get clients because they're actively looking for somebody, just know that my recommendation is skip it. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. Well, so, and in, in, instead of that, you have this process where people come to your door, they are pre-sold and they already know that you're the one they want to work with. So how has all of that changed your business? But I also want to hear, you know, how has it changed you as a business owner? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a great feeling really. I mean, I, I've gotten... A, a number of clients that I just feel so proud to work with. I mean, all of them really, but I mean, these are large national nonprofits that have, you know, name recognition that make, again, make me feel like I've achieved, I've leveled up in a way that I wanted to personally and professionally. I love the work that I do. The more I narrow, and I still am continuing to narrow my focus in work. So, you know, the world of fundraising communications is pretty big, but like now I don't really do annual giving very much. I'm almost entirely focused on major gifts and campaigns. And the more I do that, the more I focus, the more I'm creating a space for myself where I feel like an expert. And that feels really good, but it's also genuine. You know, I, I feel like I can own that now. Like I am an expert in my field and people hire me for that expertise. And that's what I wanted when I started the business. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love hearing that. Just real quick. You know, I do, I work with a lot of women who their clients are nonprofits and there is a sense in this industry that nonprofits won't spend money. They won't pay higher prices. What do you make of that? What do you think about that? I think it's an easy way to allow yourself to not succeed. You know, it, it gives, it's like saying, it's almost like the, what the Fox and the Grapes right? Like the sour grapes that, you know, well, they're not going to pay it. So therefore I'm not going to get that. You know, it's, it's an ex- a little bit of an excuse. There certainly are nonprofits that have small budgets, but if you, if they have a problem and they need you to solve it, they'll find the money. They absolutely will. And I, I have found that I have never had a problem with budget with nonprofits. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if somebody follows along and knows that you're the right one, you know, then you're not having to convince them to spend money with you. Right. Right. They've already decided. Well, so what would you say to somebody who's in the position that you were back then, you know, 
first year of her business in that moment where you're, you just recognize that this, what you've, you know, what you've done so far to get clients may not take you where you want to go. What would you say to somebody who's in a woman who's in that moment right now? What advice would you give her? You know, I always like to ask questions when people are struggling. And so I would ask things like, who is your ideal client? What problems do you solve for them? What work do you love to do? Do those things align with the other answers you just gave me? And if if it doesn't feel like there's an alignment, you know, then we need to, you need to figure out like how to go in, you know, what your goals are and how to get there. And one of those ways might be working with someone like you, or it might be reading some books. You know, so everyone has to figure out what's right for them in terms of their business growth and how they're going to evolve. But I, I think asking, you know, asking some key questions is really important early on. And but I also think giving yourself permission not to have all of the answers right away is important too, because when I started, I thought I was going to be one thing. And now two and a half years later, I'm a different thing and I'm much happier for it. But it was an evolution. I needed to give myself the time to let that play out. Yeah. I mean, just to put it in research terms, you need more data. Right. Exactly. Right. You need more data. And I think that that evolution of like what happens at the end of your first year, 18 months, where you start to, you know, evaluate basically the answers to the questions that you just asked, who do I want to work with? What value do I want to provide? What, how do I want to spend my time, et cetera? Like, what don't I want to do anymore? You, you need the people and the clients to bump that up against. Right. Um, I, I love this. I don't know if you've ever read grit, that book mm-hmm. grit. It's, it's, Excellent book. But, you know, in the book Grit, the author talks about how you can't find your passion by thinking about it. You have to find your passion by going out and doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. I think in the sales world or in a, you know, running your own consulting business world, you have to find your, you know, what brings you joy in this business by going out and talking to clients, by working with clients. You can't figure it out just by sitting there and thinking about it. Exactly. That's exactly right. And and I worked with startups for a while and I realized I don't want to work with startups and other consultants love working with startups. And, you know, yeah, you have to just, te- you have to test just like in marketing, yeah. you have to test your messages. You have to test what you like. Yeah. And it's not that, you know, of course, because another thing we do is we beat ourselves up, right? I think a lot of people go through that process and they think, well, I must've done something wrong. I wasted all this time, you know, working with startups, which I find that I didn't like, or I did this other thing, or I made this part of the website or what have you. I think that, you know, if you can see it as just data, then there's no judgment. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And I truly believe that nothing's wasted. No experience in in running a consulting business is wasted. So I'm just curious. So what's the thing that you're proudest of? Ooh. Oh, okay. Here's a good one. I don't know if this is the top one, but it comes to mind first. I did some work for the Jane Goodall Institute and Jane herself read it and really liked it. I got feedback from my client who works. I I didn't get to meet her personally, but the person in the communications office at JGI said, Jane really loved this. And that is high praise. So I love that. I love that. I, I hope that you have some type of, some way to capture these things. I always tell my clients to start like a nice things folder, just call it nice things <laughs> yes, where I take I screenshots of like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. I love that. Oh, that's yeah. how, you know, you are in the right place doing the right thing. Exactly. 
Well, so Emily, where can people find you? Where can they learn about you? Where can they work with you? So I encourage everyone to visit my website, weisswood.com. That's W-E-I-S-W-O-O-D. And of course, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm not posting as frequently as I used to these days because I'm busy with my clients, but I, I am there from time to time and I love meeting new people on LinkedIn. So I encourage everyone to connect. And uh, yeah, I that's it. That's I'm online on LinkedIn and on my website. I love it. Great. So we got to the end and I was sort of checking in with her to see how she thought it went. And then this happened. Awesome. How do you, are you, are you okay with that? Was there anything that you wanted to say that you didn't say? You know what? I don't know if, if this matters or not, but I was, you know, one of your early podcast people from one of our calls, right? I, and I was, you didn't name me, but I was the one about the, like the don't want to say oh, you're, email, right? you're telling me like, I don't know this, right? <laughs> like, remember me? <laughs> Of course. Of course. I remember that. Do you Um, want me to do like a follow-up on like, well, I didn't want to, you know, it's funny. I didn't want to bring it up because I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you, hear you open it, you know, open the door to that. But um, yeah, let's talk about that. If you're you're up for it. I mean, I can, I can like out myself as the person who was in that. So I was featured in one of your early podcasts. I'll out myself now. The podcast about, you know, the fear of sending too much email to people. And I was so worried that, you know, having gotten lots of salesy emails, you know, in my old job that like, I didn't want to be that person. And you encouraged me to send more email because people don't really read their email. And so if I send four a year, maybe one gets read. And I realized, oh yeah, it's it's the data, right? You got to work with the numbers. And so I actually increased my email to twice a month. And now, you know, I, people give me compliments on my emails all the time. They're, they write back to them and they say like, this was really thoughtful. And here's what I think. And, you know, it's, it's part of that same conversation that I see on LinkedIn. And it also gives me more content for my blog on the website. And a lot of the stuff I put in those emails are just LinkedIn posts that I've expanded on. So it's all about repurposing your content and, it turned out that I don't send too much email and maybe I could even still afford to send more. Yeah. Well, I think what we're talking about here is taking up space. You know, I, I remember that that was a, a big part of the conversation that we had was, is it okay to take up space in somebody else's inbox? And I see that as such a, just a microcosm of taking up space in in somebody else's world or somebody else's feed or somebody else's brain space. And when you do it in a way like you've done it with really thoughtful content, that's, you know, thought provoking and, and educational and provides value. People might not read it, but they certainly might, they're certainly not going to be mad at you. Right. And, and what's surprising is the number of people who actually do follow along. And it's part of that education process that people are going on that you may or may not even be able to see. Right. But it is happening. Exactly. And if someone doesn't want to read it, they can click delete. And if they do, they will. So why not give them the opportunity? Exactly. Thank you for outing yourself. Awesome. Thank you so much for hanging out. Thanks for sharing your journey. And I'm excited to see where you take it. Thank you so much. It's just such a pleasure working with you. And and I'm glad we stayed in touch. And thank you for everything. I love that conversation. There's so much that we can talk about and expand on. But first, I want to thank Emily for kind of outing herself as the client that's featured in one of my early podcast episodes. You can go check that out. It's episode eight called, Am I Sending Too Much Email? So after this, go check out that episode if you haven't already listened to it. So 
as always, you guys always hear me say this, there are a lot of ways we can take this episode and a lot of lessons that I can pull out. And actually, I feel like if you go back and listen to it again, you'll probably hear a new lesson or a new theme emerge that might be different than what popped out for you the first time. So just reading my notes here, you know, themes that come out for me are going from doing everything for everyone to getting focused and profitable, making a name for yourself in a way that you didn't or would never have in corporate. The fact that in an economic downturn, her business didn't suffer. It actually boomed because her clients weren't able to hire full-time staff. And we see that happening now across, you know, all industries. Another theme just in my notes is this idea of saying no for your own well-being. So many women I talk to are saying yes to clients who aren't the right clients for them. Maybe they're too small. Maybe they require too much handholding and they're not getting paid for that level of, I don't know, annoyance, handholding, whatever it is, right? There are a lot of reasons why people are saying yes to work when you can say no for your own well-being. But even though this episode is about, you know, using your expertise or thought leadership or whatever to build your business, I want to sort of take it one step later. What happens after that? After clients either find you for your expertise content or they read it as part of their learning process when they're learning about you. So it's kind of the role isn't for lead gen, it's for nurturing. But what happens after that? Because nearly every woman I talk to, when I ask them, you know, how do you want the sales process to feel? They say they want it to feel organic. They want it to feel natural. They want clients coming to them and they don't want to feel like they're convincing anyone or they have to convince anyone. And it's totally possible for that to be your sales process. And that is exactly what happens when you show up with expertise content and use that on LinkedIn or whatever channel is right for your clients. If you're selling to businesses or organizations, it's probably LinkedIn. But wherever your clients spend time online and are reading along and, and sort of learning about you, because you heard Emily say that the people who read her stuff on LinkedIn, who start to follow along, they know her approach well enough and they know that she's capable so that by the time they come to her, you don't have to sell anything. It's not a matter of, should I work with you? It's how should I work with you? Because the clients are essentially pre-sold. And that's the real benefit of showing up consistently with expertise content so that the sales process becomes a lot easier, a lot more seamless, a lot more organic and natural, which is what we want. And especially when you look at it through the lens of where we are now, we're kind of in a similar place to where Emily was early in her business in an economic downturn. And I hear a lot of women using that as an excuse for why their potential clients aren't saying yes. And it's almost like this mindset of my business has to suffer right now because of this downturn, right? But the truth is that it's a great time for consultants for exactly the reason that Emily mentioned, because clients aren't adding headcount, right? They still need the same amount of help with fewer resources, and that's the kind of help that you can provide but they're not just gonna hire any service provider. They're gonna hire the service provider where they know your approach. They know that you're capable. They've been reading along. They have been learning about you. 
they're going to hire people who they know your approach. They trust that you can do the work. You've given them something to follow along with you for, right? Like some type of educational expertise content that lets them start learning about you. That's how you take the theory, right, of like expertise content and bring it into the practice of today in the environment that we're all living in and using that to build your business. So if you've wanted to get corporate or business clients, or if you want to get bigger clients or a different type of client, then showing up with thought leadership, this is the marketing opportunity right now. This is the BizDev opportunity to show up with really great expertise content that nurtures and converts. So you heard Emily talk about the Pack Your Pipeline system that she used and the signed system that we use to take leads and turn them into clients. And actually, both of those programs are retired as standalone programs. But the content and the systems that are part of that are part of my program called the Academy, along with tons of other new strategies and coaching to help you be successful use it. So even though those programs are retired as standalone programs, the systems that we share are available for you to plug into today. So the good news that Emily shared is that it's easier than you think to get started and be successful showing up like this so that you can get clients coming to you for your expertise. <laughs> 